0: NFL Combine invites went out yesterday. Which frogs are going to Indianapolis to test out their skills and show what they can do in that situation? Were there any snubs? I'll list all the players that'll be there next on Locked On Horn Frogs, your team every day. You are Locked On Horn Frogs, your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. on Horn Frogs, your team every day. Thanks for joining us. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. In its audio variety, uh, NFL Combine invites went out yesterday, and six TCU players will be there testing out their skills, going through the process. Those names are Armani Bailey, the running back; Andrew Coker, offensive lineman, mainly played tackling his career at TCU; uh, Josh Newton, the corner; Nuke Bradford. Our Millard Bradford, the uh, senior safety. Brandon Coleman, um, interior offensive lineman, also played some tackle at TCU as well. And then Jared Wiley, the tight end. Those will be the guys that get to uh, showcase their skills, go through the testing there at TCU. Um, Or I should say, though, going through the testing process at the NFL Combine. The only surprise that I had, Millard Bradford, he wasn't invited to the Senior Bowl, he wasn't invited to the East-West Shrine game, so I'm really happy for him. I mean, great opportunity to go there. He'll have the pro day as well, but outstanding opportunity at the Combine to get in front of scouts, hopefully interview with some teams, show what he can do, show the athleticism. That'll be a huge deal. And then Jamie Plunkett from 247 Sports, he mentioned he was surprised that Mark Perry didn't get an opportunity uh, because Mark Perry apparently had a really good week at the East-West Shrine Bowl, which is the Senior Bowl is kind of the premier all-star game, but the Shrine Bowl is – Um, right there with it, and it's a lot of more like day two, day three prospects, but a lot of scouts there, coaches there, an opportunity to improve your stock. Perry did a really nice job there, so I was also surprised you know, after he mentioned that, thinking, okay, yeah, that would make sense for him to be there, kind of odd that he wasn't, Uh, but great opportunity for Miller Bradford to show his skills. I was kind of looking around today at the different draft profiles because I I know not everybody keeps up with this year-round. It doesn't appear like unless there's just some sort of huge Uh, rising in stock for one of these guys over the next few weeks and months. There's not going to be a day one guy here. Possibility for maybe a couple day two guys, but we're talking mainly fourth to seventh round undrafted free agents for a lot of the TCU players in this class of guys that are going to the NFL. But I was trying to kind of parse out, okay, who is getting the most buzz? And I've also uh, put out a request to the locked on NFL draft guys to see if they have any names that they're really targeting. But Brandon Coleman is the main name to know. I mean, Brandon going into the season, uh, he was getting some like first or second round buzz. I I was hearing that from, you know, people that there's so many guys now that just do draft coverage year round. That seems to have died down a little bit, um, but the draft network has him as a day two player, a possible adequate starter, you know, strengths, good arm length, uh, wingspan, good athleticism, good range as a blocker, functional strength. I think his athleticism, if he's completely healthy, should stand out really well at the combine. And, I mean, listen, like 40 times for offensive linemen, it's definitely not the end-all, be-all. There's not a lot of situations we're going to be asking guys to sprint like that in that type of environment. But moving in tight spaces, being able to pull around, being able to reach you know, somebody that's on your outside shoulder or get to the second level and get a linebacker or safety and clear the way, those are all important things. Getting out there on screens, which is such a big part, of offenses now and what they do. Brandon Coleman can do all that really adequately. Uh, You know, the concerns here, consistent technique and pass protection run blocking, maintaining balance while engaged with defenders. And he also, there's some position flex, even though I feel like he's going to project as an interior offensive lineman at the next level. Um, That's just kind of my guess, given his size and what he's done during his time at TCU. But they moved him around a little bit, depending on, what his opportunities were. So hopefully that's something that can work to his advantage. The other guy that kind of came up as a day two potential, at least when I was looking at scouting reports, was Josh Newton. And Josh Newton had a really great career for the Frogs. Even last season when the team was struggling, uh, teams didn't challenge him a ton. And so he did a good job for the most part. Teams didn't throw at him a lot. Um, You know, he was active at knocking the ball down and being a presence when he was challenged. But Newton is also getting some day two pick projections, um, high IQ player. These are some of the strengths that were listed. Short area explosiveness, competitive, uh, versatile in his alignment. The concerns, vertical contested catching situations. So those 50-50 balls, you know, Josh is a little bit undersized for the corner position. So being able to go up and make plays on the ball against bigger receivers is going to be a challenging thing. And then also just down the field speed. Um, but yeah, I mean the competitiveness, the leadership—we've seen it all, right? Like we we saw it two years ago when he immediately came in um, from Louisiana Monroe and became a leader on that team, on that TCU team that had such a special run, and then even last year, was just always a vocal leader. I think he's someone that takes care of his business, that's going to prepare well and uh, should project well in the NFL. Amani Bailey—it was a little bit of a surprise when Amani. um Declared for the draft, I think, to most people. And, you know, it's one of those things like as a running back, you have to be careful about what your shelf life is. Um, you sort of have to strike while the iron's hot. Everybody has that mentality. But Imani had a really productive season last year and he's shifty. He's quick. You know, he's shown the ability to grow in a, a lot of the, I think, detail oriented areas of the running back position, like pass protection. Um, You know, here on the strengths package on his draft profile, acceleration, contact balance, sure hands, footwork. Now the vision one is interesting because I feel like there were times last year where he missed opportunities to get yardage because he wasn't seeing the cutback lanes or the hole properly. And then just general, like it says wiggle here, so his movement, his ability to make things happen, um, and the concerns, size, pass protection, and then inconsistent patience, which I guess kind of coincides with that vision, just not always allowing plays to develop. He had a really good senior bowl, though. Had a good week of practice, was active in that game, was productive. Um, I think he rushed for 50 yards, also had some receptions. And running back is one of those spots. I mean, it matters where you're picked to a certain extent, but teams are always trying to find value there because they think, for the most part, you can kind of plug and play in a lot of situations. You don't have to have first-round special talent, Bijan John Robinson, to be productive. Um, even though that's cool if you can get those guys, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the prototype uh, or, or where you take those players to have production in that position. So I think Imani's going to have a chance to make a roster. You know, he's got some special tools. We saw Amari Di Mercado have a really good season, even though he ended up being an undrafted free agent. And hopefully he does well in the testing and the 40 times and some of the cone drills and shuttle drills that show his ability in and in, um, just his opportunity to move well in tight spaces and I, I think one thing about Imani that surprised me last year in, in a positive way I came into the season and I was like he seems like a home run threat my concern is you know can he get tough yardage can he get positive yards move the pile forward when there's not much there can he find a way if it looks like it should be a two-yard loss to turn it into a one-yard gain so it's second and nine instead of second and 12 that's kind of the Um, the deeper level areas as a running back that you have to excel in. And I feel like he did a pretty good job of that last year. Um, You know, he bounced off tackles well. And he honestly didn't show as much of a home run threat as I thought he would last season. But his ability to just consistently, you know, get positive yardage, uh, get moving down the field, get first downs, was a breath of fresh air for that offense last season. So um, good opportunity for him to get out there and show what he's got. Jared Wiley is another guy that I think is going to have a really good chance to make a roster and be a presence in the NFL. You know, you can't teach that great size he has at 6'7", and that big target that he can be in the red zone. Um, He's got the ability to separate. You know, he's shown the ability to get open. I always felt like he was a little underutilized. Definitely two years ago, he was much more a part of the offense this season. Um, I think the physicality at the point of attack and the run blocking has to get better but I think Jared's a guy that teams are going to be high on once they get to see him in person and get a good feel for who he is and he also had a good senior bowl he didn't end up playing in the game itself um, but he went through practice all week I know he had some good catches in the one-on-one drills and showed that you know he can get separation he can make plays and if if he can stay upright and get more yardage after the catch you know show that ability then I think that's going to go a long way and what he can do at the next level. So those are kind of the four guys that I I sort of perused around and looked at their draft profiles. You know, Andrew Coker, Miller Bradford, I think are both kind of fringe draft pick guys who could really help themselves in the combine process and in the pro day process, just getting in front of people, getting to talk to them, um, having the ability to communicate, like what they want to do, what they can do well, putting up good testing numbers. And I feel like Mark Perry falls in that category too. And I was thinking to myself, and I I probably shouldn't do this on the spot like this because I I feel like I'm going to forget somebody and um, someone will jump in and be like, how you idiot, how could you forget this person? Which is fine. You can do that in the YouTube comments or on Twitter. I'm at some guy Steven, but I was trying to think in my mind who the main draft prospects will be coming into this, this upcoming year for TCU. Who are the guys that scouts are going to want to look at and, and get a good feel for what they can do. I think Savion Williams, is going to be there, you know. I think another wide receiver, Eric McAllister, is going to be someone who's going to get some looks from NFL scouts at the next level. Um, on the defensive side, Dominic Williams will be draft eligible this year. So, if he can have a more impactful year, you know, really, if any of those defensive linemen can find a way to uh, make an impact rushing the passer, that's going to be huge. You know, Devin Deal coming over um, from Tulane. I think he'll have some opportunities coming off the edge to impress scouts. And then on the offensive line, I feel like Bless Harris is going to get some looks just because of his size and the fact that he had a lot of starts at Florida State, and he should get really adequate opportunities at TCU as well to show what he can do. So th- those are some of the names that come to mind. And, again, unfortunately, Caleb Alarms or the middle linebacker for the Frogs, I think he's going to be a special player. Namdi Obaizor has been super productive or was super productive this past season. He'll have a chance to kind of show his versatility and flexibility, hopefully, in Andy Avalos' defense. Those are the guys that immediately come to mind. Feel free to throw some other names out there, maybe some people that I missed. Um, And I think those are the guys that are going to be on the radar, though. Plenty of players can put themselves on the radar with a huge season, and I think we've seen that the last couple of years. You know, a number of these guys that end up at the Combine or end up having – opportunities to get drafted weren't necessarily um, the people going into the year that we thought would get it done, but just happened to, to put up a productive season and then get the attention of scouts and coaches alike. So that's coming down the pipeline. Um, NFL combine. Those are the six names that'll be there when we come back. TCU basketball got a win on Monday. We'll talk about that more next. It's locked on horn frogs, your team every day. All right. Make sure you download the game time app today. Use that promo code locked on for $20 off your first purchase game time app promo code is locked on for $20 off your first purchase. Uh, game time app is fantastic because it tells you exactly what seat you're going to be in and what your view is going to be from that seat before you buy. They have all in prices that will show your total up front. So the other day I was actually looking at TCU baseball tickets and um the tickets themselves were $4. You know, once fees and everything got added in, it was like $17. But I clicked on it and immediately showed me it's the total. So it wasn't telling me, hey, two tickets for four bucks, it's eight bucks. And immediately told me, no, this this is going to cost you $17 if you pay for it right now. Um, But it's good to have that upfront assurance and that transparency through the process. And I also could see Exactly where it was sitting, which I mean, these were just general admission berm seats. That's why they were that's why they were four bucks. But Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event and even an hour after it starts. It's the best place to find last-minute seats. You can find exclusive flash deals and sponsored deals for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theaters, and more. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Game Time users get $20 off with that promo code locked on. Again, that's the Game Time app, promo code locked on. $20 off the game time out. proud sponsor of the Locked On Network, best place to get last minute tickets. So I didn't talk about this on Tuesday's show because we did sort of a special one-off baseball preview with Jacob Sailors from the Lupton Drinking Club. I encourage you to go listen to that, though, if you haven't, if you want to get ready for TCU baseball season, which starts on Friday, and I'll have more about that in segment three as well. But a three-game series against Florida Gulf Coast at home, Florida Gulf Coast, formerly Dunk City, uh, that had that great run in the tournament eh, probably about a decade ago now. But anyway, a baseball team coming to TCU. They're going to kick off the season Friday, and I had a pretty extensive preview with Jacob Saylor's there. Um, Some good stuff, good information. So go check that out if you haven't. But I didn't get to talk about the TCU men. They played West Virginia on Monday night. And they won the game 81 to 65 and really a pretty business like effort from the Frogs. They were up 47 to 35 at halftime. Um, they really never let that lead, you know, get into single digits much at all in the second half. And aside from the first 10 minutes of that ball game, where they really struggled to score and it was a tied game. West Virginia had, you know, small lead at times. They honestly controlled, you know, the pace and the action from start to finish. And uh, the big thing was the defense. I mean, honestly, from start to finish in that ballgame, the defense was solid. Now, listen, West Virginia is not a very good team. They have won three conference games this year, but they're 3-8 and eight in conference overall. They have a losing record on the season. But they do have some guys that can score. Raquan Battle actually led both teams in scoring with 21 points on the night. Uh, and then they have a center who was kind of fun to watch. Jesse Edwards, he's averaging 14 a game this season. TCU did a nice job on him, and they held him to six points. But he's like a true old-school big man. He's got, like, tape on his wrist. Uh, He shoots free throws one-handed. He's working in the post. I don't know. It was just funny to watch him and kind of fun to watch him play. Not a lot of guys like that. And in basketball in general, but in the league that are working on the block, Hunter Dickinson, of course, at Kansas, is making a living doing that and has for a long time and is doing it this year for KU. But uh, the TCU bigs were really effective against Jesse Edwards, and they held him in check, again, to only six points. Really balanced scoring effort from the Frogs. Um, Three guys had 14 points. Jameer Nelson Jr. had a much better game. Trey Sinison had 14. Emmanuel Miller was 14. Uh, Micah Peavy had nine. Jacoby Coles came off the bench and had 11 points. Jacoby Coles stood after the game as he continues to really kind of come into his own, and before the season – I mean, he was kind of the guy that everybody had on, you know, at least on paper as like, okay, this is the dude that they're going to run their offense through. Now it's very different. He's a very different player than Mike Miles or Damian Ball, who were the main scorers the last few seasons. And those were point guards that had the ball in their hand all the time. Jacoby's different. I mean, he's a forward. Uh, and, you know, you're going to have to like run him off screens and kind of get him ISO opportunities and feed him the ball in the high post or on the wings. But he's looked much more comfortable lately and has done a, a, a lot better job shooting, getting to the rim. And he said in the press conference after the game that he's been dealing with plantar fasciitis pretty much all year long and that it's getting better and it's, it's finally at a point where he can kind of manage it and he feels more like himself and it's showing. So that could be a big swing for this team if he becomes a more consistent scoring option, even though it feels like we're so far down the line in the season now that he's probably going to be coming off the bench for the majority of the year. But having scoring punch off the bench is still a nice thing, and it's still a big deal. Um, and so he was a bright spot. A couple other guys that came off the bench gave them good minutes. Chuck O'Bannon had six points in 16 minutes and had a thunderous dunk at the end of that ball game that was a great kind of exclamation point on a good night. And Xavier Cork was fantastic. He had six points on three of six shooting um, in 16 minutes, also had four rebounds. Jamie Dixon said after the game, about at times, they even kind of ran the offense through X, which – It's not something they've done very often in his career. And, you know, Xavier's one of those guys. I mean, he has a couple of those games every season. You'd love for it to be more consistent. It hasn't been so far in his DCU career. Now, a couple of years back towards the end of the season when him and Aiden Lampkin were really playing well, that was a great one-two punch, and he was being effective. And Cork has shown some ability at times to, like, actually do some work in the post, in some post-up situations, getting his own shot, getting some buckets. Um you know again i I think it's all situational it's not something you want to do each and every night run the offense through him and they're probably going to do it sparingly but it's a good option to have if he's playing well and he gave them good minutes on monday both offensively and defensively and jameer nelson jr with a nice bounce back game and he actually got put in the starting lineup in place of avery anderson and jamie was asked about that after the game and uh, coach dixon basically said well he said they're very similar anderson and nelson as far as what production they bring to the table. And he actually said from an analytics standpoint, their profiles are essentially identical. So they've been really the same type of player all year long. So they don't feel like they lose much when they switch it up, but it felt like Nelson definitely had more energy and effort in a starting role than coming off the bench. And Coach Dixon mentioned that he was much better on defense and that sort of led to getting some open looks on offense, but he opened the scoring on Monday night with a corner three you know, he had another three later in the first half. Uh, he had a really nice step back where there was a screen where Jesse Edwards, the center for West Virginia, was guarding him, and he broke him down off the dribble, you know, stepped back at the free throw line, knocked down a really smooth jumper. So he looked very in control. Really good night all around for TCU basketball as they continue um, to to go through the season here. Now 6-5 and five in conference play. A Saturday game, 11 a.m. tip. Against Kansas State. And this is one of those huge coin flip games. It's tough to win on the road. It's tough to win on the octagon, in the octagon of doom, as they call it there in Manhattan. All those caveats. Tough to win in the Big 12 on the road. All that's understood. But if you're going to have a team that wins 10 or 11 conference games, which is still in play here, this is one of those games you have to win. And we'll see what they can do when they get down there and play Kansas State. Um, at 11 a.m. on Saturday, but big opportunity to, you know, win one of those 50-50 games down the stretch um, that is going to be pivotal in determining really, I mean, making the tournament first of all, but then just seeding after that and hopefully avoiding, you know, a seven or eight or 10 seed potentially um, if they can find a way to finish over 500 and Big 12 play. When we come back, I'll talk a little bit more about baseball starting the season on Friday Locked on Horn Frogs, your team every day. All right, let's get into it with FanDuel. Uh, the NBA season is in full swing. Luka Doncic, the Mavericks are playing a little better lately. have won a few games in a row, made some trades, um, you know, changed up their lineup a little bit. Might be a good time to bet on the Mavs. New customers. If you go to fanduel.com slash locked on, one $5 bet, you got to win it. But if you put one $5 bet down and win that bet, You get $150 in bonus bets. Again, $150 in bonus bets with one winning $5 bet. That's the type of great deals you get at FanDuel. And you can do quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, or you can just keep it simple and bet on the money line of the games themselves. FanDuel.com slash locked on or that FanDuel app that is safe, secure, and easy to use. FanDuel, official betting partner of the NBA and proud sponsor of the Locked On Network. So I talked with Jacob Saylors on Tuesday about TCU baseball. And the Frogs kick off their uh, season opening day is Friday. Should be fun. Um, Get a chance to watch them in action again. And Kirk Starloose announced the rotation on uh, the Lupton Drinking Club podcast earlier this week. It's going to be Peyton Tole, the Wichita State transfer. is a two-way player. He's going to pitch, and he's also going to hit in the middle of that lineup. Cole Klecker, who was outstanding for them last season. And then Zach Morris, the Arkansas transfer, who had a rough year from an ERA perspective in the Arkansas bullpen last season, but had a really good fall and good spring. They're hopeful that he can turn it around and be a force for them this upcoming season. They also brought in Ben Hampton, the West Virginia transfer, um, who got a lot of buzz this offseason because he's made a ton of starts in his career. 41 starts in Big 12 play and was you know, the most consistent person on that West Virginia staff the last few seasons. Uh, and he's going to start the year in the midweek role on Tuesdays. Ben Abelt is your closer. Hunter Hodges uh, ended the season in the back of that bullpen. He's going to start the season hopefully healthy and will be you know, an, an eighth inning, seventh inning type of guy. That's available for them this year. A number of transfers will also get opportunities out of the bullpen as well. Luis Rodriguez is a guy who made a lot of starts last year and will presumably start the year in the pen. Um, Kirk mentioned that they might switch things up on Tuesdays, depending on the matchup. But I like where they're going with this rotation. Now, you have to always have the caveat. This is um, it's the beginning of the season, which means things change. There's injuries every year. The last few years, uh, you know, Marcelo Perez stepped in a couple years back and became their Saturday guy and really carried them through a lot of the season. Last season, and I totally forgot about this, to be honest, but uh, your Friday night starter was Ryan Vanderhyde, the transfer from Kansas. And he looked really good in his first game, but then things went downhill and he got injured. He had to be removed from the rotation completely. They tried to get him back in there. It didn't work. Cam Brown started the year in the rotation and eventually kind of worked his way back, but he had a lot of ups and downs and had to bow out at different points. Cole Klecker had a really good bullpen outing against Florida State and then got an opportunity to start and took the ball and never let go of it. Luis Rodriguez kind of found himself in that same situation middle of the season and did a really nice job until uh, towards the end of the year where he had an injury. Um, Sam Stoutenborough, was a guy that was kind of up and down through the year. And then by the end of the season, he was one of your most consistent arms and he became one of your starters. But honestly, that team made it to Omaha last year with essentially two starters. It was Klecker and Stoutenborough and Cam Brown, hopefully can give you some innings on a third day. And then you're going to go heavy bullpen from then on out. And they survived and made it work. And they made it work because they swept through the regional. They swept through the Supers. And then even when they got to Omaha, they, they found a way to kind of mix and match and win some games, um, even though they had a thin rotation. This staff, at least on paper, looks a lot deeper going into the year, and hopefully they stay injury-free and those guys are productive and as advertised, and they can carry that throughout the season. But it feels like if something goes wrong, you have more arms to fall back on this time, which is a big deal. And so it should be fun when they uh, take the field for the first time against Florida Gulf Coast, again, that game on Friday night at 630. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Lockdown Horn Frogs, your team, and we do it here every day.